Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 152nd time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have a little bit of news, and I've watched our weekly shows, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. So first thing in the news, of course, this news came out um, after I recorded our last uh, intro for our last episode, but we got the announcement of the cast and showtimes of Dancing Star Precure, also known as Boku Precure, Boku being a first person pronoun associated with boys. In case you missed it, this is the all-male stage show for Precure that is coming out in the fall. So they put in some specific dates. It will be the last week of October and the first week of November in Tokyo and Osaka. And we also got the names of the cures as well. So I just wanted to shout those out. So we have Cure Top, Cure Soul, Cure Lock, Cure Kagura, and Cure Break. So of course, this is a dance-themed team. And uh, we got to see the actors as well. So that was really fun to see. Of course, I am going to try my best to get tickets. They are expensive and there are three rounds of fan clubs that are going to get a hold of the tickets before they go out into the public at the end of September. So everyone, please cross your fingers for me because I really want to go to one of these Tokyo shows. But yeah, next was the announcement of the acquisition of a Magical Girl Young Adult graphic novel. So uh, Jade Armstrong, who is part of the Hello Boyfriend Collective, is working on a graphic novel called Rocks, Piper, and Snips. This is about a magical team of teenage girls who are short-staffed, burnt out, and struggling to balance their normal lives with their jobs as heroes. This is this looks like it's going to be coming out sometime in 2025, so we have a little bit of time to wait before it comes out, but definitely um, keep an eye out for that because it looks very interesting. The visual that we have so far is very small, but it looks very cute um, just from what we have so far. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that turns out. That's all for the news. So let's move on to our weekly shows. So of course, first we have Soaring Sky Precure, a very, very big episode as we got our fourth member debuting. In a very sweet story, uh, Cure Butterfly is the first adult Precure who is a, a true adult. There's a bunch of asterisks around the healing good mid-season cure, so sorry for that. But this one was a big deal. You know, I think it's very, very uh, effective that she had to transform while she was working, which is very funny. Um, yeah, she came in and she just saw and conquered it. Was, it was fantastic. And it's you know, just a really, really, again, um, very exciting season all around. So, yeah, she had a pretty big impact. Um, and it's going to be really exciting to see how the dynamics change now that there are four members on the team. But, yeah, so with that, the next thing would be uh, Tokyo Mew Mew New. So, of course, this is getting to the beginning of the end and all of that. We just have a few more episodes left. 
One of the big reveals happened uh, last episode, which I will not get into because it is major spoilers for the show itself, regardless of if you're consuming it from the original iteration to up to now. But it was, you know, one that, you know, we were excited to see how are they going to reveal this uh, information. And it's been going really well. They've just been doing such a great job of uh, pacing the story and everything. So it's just been such a delight to watch. And last but not least, um, Magical Destroyers got, uh, once again, very, very wild. This particular episode was especially disturbing in terms of the, uh, the, the I guess, the boss question mark they had to fight. And, um, you know, again, there's just clearly something else going on, um, especially with that very, very last shot. There is something very sus here. So it will be very uh, interesting to see how it works out. So I, I'm not really like put off by anything at this point. It's entertaining despite everything. And I'm just dying to know what the um, what the big twist is. So with that, I did not finish watching anything this week. So we're going to move on to today's topic. So to be perfectly honest, when this show was airing, I guess even when it was like first um, being debuted, etc., I really didn't know what to make of the show. I didn't know what it was really. And I noticed that, hey, it seems like people are talking about it in the context of Magical Girls, but it doesn't necessarily look like a Magical Girls series. And you'll hear details about my experience with this show uh, in the main chat, but I was definitely very curious about uh, this show. Sometimes you have to uh, go into things by me having to straight up just watch a show for myself to come to a conclusion about um, whether or not it counts as uh, part of the genre. And for me, this was one where when I first watched it, it just became very clearly that, like there was no question for me, but I know it is one that is highly debated. But yeah, we're talking about Wonder Egg Priority today. And this sh this show is, it's a lot. It's going to be really wild, just as a warning. Um, I'm going to get into the trigger warning list in a bit because it's the longest we've ever had. But, you know, it was a show that was really interesting to to watch as itself and then to watch for the podcast. And there was just so much to talk about. So I apologize slash you're welcome because this is a very long episode um if this is not a series for you because of the content i do apologize and i promise next week's episode is going to be about a very very charming and wholesome children's show so we're going to go back to you know the the classics uh, the classic mood in that way here we're looking at something that is kind of classic in a new way, which is very interesting. And yeah, there's definitely a lot to talk about. If you are watching the show for the first time, please keep in mind, we do talk about everything up to and including the special. Uh, when I say we, I'm referring to myself and Kai, aka Clear and Sweet, who is back once again. Um, he has been on to talk about Princess Tutu. He's been on to talk about Doremi Naisho. And it just made sense to have him for this particular topic. Yeah. He has done a lot of videos about this particular series, and so 
it was a delight to talk about. So let's get into the trigger warnings. So please be warned that this series contains discussions of, well, primarily self-harm and suicide and the things that wrap around that, which include sexual assaults and rape, transphobia and corrective rape, fat phobia, eating disorders, domestic violence and abuse, grooming, gaslighting, cult brainwashing, edible cruelty and violence, a lot of gore and other general psychological horror. Uh, so again, it's a lot of stuff. I promise you that if you think you can handle those things, this show is super worth watching. It is definitely a very fantastic, fascinating piece of media, in my opinion. But yeah, uh, please, please, please um, keep all of those warnings in mind. There are more detailed trigger warning lists out there. This is very similar to uh, Utena in that way. So please get yourself as prepared as you need to be before getting into a show like this. But I promise you that if you think you can handle it, it is worth the ride. Yes, so <laughs> with all of that, I think it's time. So let's jump into today's conversation with Clear and Sweet about Wonder Egg Priority. So today we are here to talk about Wonder Egg Priority from 2021. Very uh, exciting <laughs> discussion to be had. And I'm also very excited to bring on a returning guest. Can you please introduce yourself? Hello, Ayumi. I'm very happy to be back here guesting uh, on your podcast once again. My name is Kai. I run a YouTube channel uh, primarily dedicated to magical girls, but also more general anime and video games that I like and critical analysis of those. It's called Clear and Sweet on YouTube. And um, I am <laughs> very excited to talk about Wonder Egg Priority today. <laughs> it's something that I've... Uh, you know, watched while it was airing, mm. and I was uh, really on the front lines of trying to understand what is a very complicated and uh, intricate series. So I hope, hopefully, we can shed some light on it today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely, it's it's gonna be a lot, but it'll be fun to unpack. I think. Um, so before we get into that, Kai, what have you been enjoying in the genre since your last time on the podcast? Oh, a couple of really good things, actually. <laughs> Much like everybody, I'm sure, listening to this, I'm watching Soaring Sky Precure. And uh, for me, Precure is always a situation where I'm not dedicated to watching every season, mm -hmm. only the really good seasons. <laughs> and Soaring Sky Precure happens to be one of the very, very good seasons, I would say. Mm -hmm. I've been loving everything about the writing so far. The animation to um, my favorite's Ageha, right? <laughs> Loving it. I think I think it's on the level of a of a hug toe, um, maybe even getting close to a hard catch. Mm -hmm. So, would you say like for for you, those two seasons are like the the kind of peak of Precure? What's best about Precure? Absolutely, that I've seen at least. You know that I've that I've found. Hmm. Yeah, those are my two favorites. Sure, sure. Just to clarify, because everyone comes to Precure for, for different things. And, you know, if you ask 
a group of 100 people which is the best season they're not all going to agree so <laughs> oh yeah totally i've heard some especially listening to your podcast i've heard so many varied opinions that i'm just i think are absolutely ridiculous but <laughs> like you said everybody's looking for something else yeah yeah something different mm-hmm. yeah, yeah pre-cure me has different you know meaning for different people so it's all it's all good but yeah have you been enjoying anything else yes uh past that i know you did an episode on this show quite some time ago and i was like oh i should get to that i finally got to that and that is the demon girl next door or machikaido oh, okay, yeah i don't i was kind of mixed about this show uh hmm. it's a, a kind of a gag comedy right and yeah. i don't find the humor ep- or like second to second very funny hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like hard to watch almost but then once you get invested and once you get going with the show, I I really feel like it's like this really gorgeous uh, Yuri romance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's got some really cool things to say about like magical girliness and what that means. Yeah, definitely. There's some interesting um, commentary on the genre going on in that show. But but yeah, definitely like the, you know, because the original comic was a, a gag comic, right? Like four panel comics. So that's kind of part of why the the humor is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. It's not I, for I, everyone, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so whatever. But uh, the one I will say that I was uh, ten out of ten on, absolutely loved. Uh, in America, we finally got the release of the Mawaru Penguin Drum f- recap films, uh, recycle mm. of the Penguin Drum which aren't like technically a magical girl show as such, even though it does feature one character that would very much be considered magical girl in both her presentations and values. Mm-hmm. I mention it, though, because of the lineage of uh, Kunihiko Ikahara and the director, uh, having director- directed Revolutionary Girl Utena and much of Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. And... I think that it's also relevant because it's one of those shows that really, really brings in negative content, really forces you to look at uncomfortable things and makes the viewer feel bad. And I think Hmm. those types of shows, that type of media, when done well, has a unique appeal to me, at least, and to many others that uh, you just can't get anywhere else. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Penguin Drum is interesting. I I have yet to watch this series, though I I do want to get to it. And it's one of those that like, it's kind of actually like today's episode uh, is going to be it's it's one where a lot of people argue about whether or not it's relevant to the genre. So I'm definitely excited to check it out for myself and come to my own conclusions. But yeah. (laughs) I look forward to hearing what you what you think once you watch it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll definitely chat with you about it. But yeah, so I guess with that, I think we're ready to get into Wonder Egg. So for uh, anyone who is listening and has not checked out this series, um, we have a whole list of of content warnings at the top of the episode. So if you've heard all those and are still ready to dive on in, then, you know, here we go. You know, just by the nature of the plot itself, it's like going to be a little heavy. But yeah, so this series is again from 2021 and features uh, the main character of Ai Oto. She is a shut-in who stopped going to school after her only friend, Koito, died falling from the roof in an apparent suicide. 
And one day she saves a little beetle while taking a walk outside and it begins talking to her and leading her down to this kind of mysterious idyllic house beyond this like kind of abandoned play place slash bowling alley area. It's like a kind of hole. It's all very weird and mysterious. But there, uh, two figures who are like just completely made of fabric offer her this thing called a wonder egg. The first one is free, but they say that if she wants to get more, she does have to pay for them. But it turns out that every night in her dreams, if she cracks these eggs, uh, an adolescent girl who uh, had just recently committed suicide will hatch from it. And she has to protect said girl from her traumas that cause them to take uh, their own life. And she can't get hurt in the dreams themselves, but her injuries do manifest upon waking. And every time time runs out, the girl she protected vanishes in a puff of smoke. Seemingly, the idea is that eventually she will, there will be a different outcome. But over time, this is just kind of always what happens. And uh, the first time around, she is shown a statue of her lost friend, Koito, and comes to the conclusion on her own that if she continues, you know, hatching these wonder eggs and fighting their traumas, that Koito will come back in some way. She meets other girls who are also fighting uh, for wonder eggs. So there is Neiru, who is a genius young woman who lost her sister. Rika, who is an idol, whose fan um, also took her own life after she insulted her, which we'll get to later. And uh, Momoe, who is a more masculine presenting girl whose female classmate killed herself after, after rejecting her advances. And they each fight in dream worlds that are related to their own personal traumas. And the the girls that they are um, defending all seem to be kind of in their own way related to their own personal traumas. So they're all a little bit different. But they have to fight off little creatures called Sino Evils. And they also have to fight the Wonder Killer, which are these like monstrous representations of the person who seems most responsible for the girls' suicides, typically an adult. And it's a little bit complicated in that whether it's actually the person or like just like the uh, kind of dream version of that kind of character in their life. But uh, for that reason, of course, and with the whole theme in itself, very, very heavy topics come up with pretty much every case. And uh, yeah, but just to get it out of the way, you know, this is a series whose place in the genre is commonly debated. So I think the reason is considered primarily because uh, they don't transform and have like outfits and special names or whatever. Um, when they're fighting, they're still in their everyday clothes. And um, they do fight with like weapons that are made from mundane objects, either that are important to them or to the people that they're protecting. I think that's basically the main reason why people don't think it's part of the genre. But I think it's really fascinating that so many people feel very strongly that it isn't. Was was that the reason? I, I remember there being a large discussion when this aired about whether this qualifies as a magical mm-hmm. girl show, but I never really understood the reasons on the other side of the argument. I think both you and I <laughs> really heavily consider this definitively a magical girl show. Yes, um, yes, I definitely do. Mm-hmm. My metrics are all based on themes so right you know it, it's very much a magical girl show in that way but i guess if your metrics are based on transformations then yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i find that like a lot of times people who are like really in the genre and like understand the scope of the genre they tend to be on the same page as me when it comes to yeah. defining shows yeah. in the genre 
not to like insult anyone who hasn't, you know, been deep diving into the genre like I have, because not everyone has an amount of time or interest. But, um, you know, for some people, they have a very uh, narrow idea of what the genre is. And for a lot of people, that includes like feeling like there needs to be a transformation sequence, or maybe they even needs to be like full stock footage or whatever. It's it's an interesting kind of metric that some people have. So yeah. this is this is actually really really cool because I know if you go back and listen to everybody listening to this, go back and listen to the Madoka Magic episodes of Sparkle Sides Chat. Uh, you <laughs> talked with a certain person, uh, Doctor Simon Gao, right? Yes, yes. And me and him talked about. Uh, defining the genre on my channel we have a video Mm. where i interview him and another professor and we talk about prescriptive definitions of genre and like who gets to decide what a genre is and what that means and and you know what's the use case for even calling something a magical girl you know Mm. and i think the answer that we kind of come to is that it's what you what you want to share with the other people or or what you find meaningful about the magical girl show that you would recommend to someone else who likes magical girl shows. And I will say that if you, if you enjoy, you know, the triumph of compassion and understanding over, um, you know, cynicism, um, and heartlessness, then wonder egg priority is a show that you should watch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Japanese definitions, there's also like this interesting kind of overlay of the battle heroine, which is like, 90% 90% also magical girl, but sometimes right, yeah. isn't if there's like more of a sci-fi element. Like, yeah. And then, you know, for a lot of people, like that's the only part of the genre, which is a whole other discussion. But yeah. it's really interesting to see like what people define as a magical girl. For me, like the most simplest definition should be that there's a girl who is using magic to solve some sort of problem. Like that is the most basic, basic way you can get to like encompassing everything. And what those, like, the problems are and the functions of the shows also are just, like, a whole other aspect. We could we could talk about this for hours because, <laughs> I, you know, I don't even consider stuff like early Majoko stuff, like, uh, you know, all that all that to be magical girl, really. Or, like, I, I believe that uh, it requires some thematic heart, you know. Or, mm-hmm. I've said a couple times that the magical girl genre begins in the Nephrite Naru arc of Sailor Moon, the first season of Sailor Moon. <laughs> Very and, interesting. Yeah, which is like a bold claim, but nobody's ever been able to kind of like tell me otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm defining it based on one specific aspect. So, Mm. you know, I'm very curious about what you have watched that's like earlier than Sailor Moon, (laughs) because there is a lot of heart in, in even the earliest stuff. Sure, sure, sure. And that's that's <laughs> what I would like to explore more. So maybe I need to uh, expand my uh, repertoire before I say anything definitive. <laughs> yeah, well, you're basing it on your own experience, just like the people who think Wonder Egg is not a magical girl series are sure. basing it on their own experience of the genre. So exactly. at least we can all agree on that. <laughs> but yeah, so like getting to kind of the main bulk of the show itself. Um, so like, Kai, what was your experience when, I guess, you first watched the show as it was airing? Oh, boy. Yeah. Watching this show while it was airing, it, it very quickly became something that I, right from episode one, you understand that this is uh, a show that is dealing with tough issues, that is not afraid to talk about those issues, and mm. has something uh, meaningful to say about them. 
um, and is also acting with a level of tact uh, related to those issues. Uh, I think mm. I'll, I think there's a there's if you're using this type of content that we've we've warned about at the beginning of this episode, then uh, I think you really need to go in with a um, a, a light touch or, or understanding it very well and not mm-hmm. making it very crass. I mean, I think of something like uh, Magical Girl Sight, right? Mm-hmm. Which I know has its defenders, but for me it was just ugh, too <laughs> off-putting, right? Like, isn't it? Sure, sure. Know. But the Wonder Egg priority is not that, right? It's it's something uh, a little more discreet and a little more uh, realistic. Mm-hmm. So seeing that airing and then seeing the other part of it, the creativity and the the ambiguity of it, the the Alice in Wonderland as I goes down the um, slide into the dream world for the first time in episode one, um, the, you know, the talking toilet paper in episode one, a lot of these <laughs> really imaginative uh, mm-hmm. dream world things. I was like, oh, there's some there's some spark here there's some uh, uh mm. something i need to be checking out as a fan of this type of media so i i watched it every week right as it aired uh did group watches and um made a lot of content trying to understand the show over its run yeah it's just like i didn't get the chance to watch it it was actually weirdly very hard to watch in japan as it was airing unless you were able to get it like that same week and even now it's like only available on one streaming service which is like really expensive so it's like oh really yeah it's so inaccessible in japan right now it's kind of wild that's crazy because it's uh anaplex and sony right and sony owns the yeah yeah you would think that it would be like on more stuff but but it for some reason it's not and um i think I definitely have gotten the chance to see more reactions uh, from the West where it's much more accessible. Yeah. And isn't there something about like the content too, that kind of, kind of hit in the West or Wonder Egg was a a big, uh, it generated a lot of waves in the Western speaking anime community in a way that I don't think a lot of shows really do. And, and part of this is um, it's on, it's available. There's no distribution um, hurdles to get over it's on funimation or crunchyroll now and it has a fantastic english dub i, I really want to shout that out on this podcast i listen to mm-hmm. it it's wonderful um but also there's something about like the the content and the way it's presented that i don't know would you say strikes the western fandom a bit more hmm, i'm not sure about that because like I was, like, looking for, like, not necessarily just, like, reviews, but, like, sites and stuff where people do collect, like, you know, ratings or whatever. And it seems like both in Japan and in the West, it's, like, most people who watch it all the way through did enjoy it enough to, like, give it pretty high ratings. I could definitely understand, you know, certain aspects being too much for some people. Again, the topics are very heavy. For the most part, I think that, like, most of the topics are handled well, in my opinion. Um, And I think, Owen, to what you said, like, there are really a lot of ways to talk about this stuff or show these things, like, in a way that's really exploitative of uh, the girls in question. And I think it's, like, it's... Like, so much about, you know, I mean, the girls are all, like, uh, around roughly 14, and uh, I think all the girls that they're protecting, and I put girls a huge asterisk, because we'll get to that later, um, that, like, it's, they're all roughly around the same age, and it's, like, kind of this obsession with this particular point of of, uh, adolescence that's, like, you know, 
really understandable to most people who have um I would say probably most of the people watching it are either either teenagers themselves or older and remember those times and like how it's like this weird point in life where you feel like you're starting to have more agency over yourself and yet a lot of things are getting you down, especially if you're a girl. And it's, yeah, just really, mm, it's very fascinating to see like how this got portrayed in this like way where it's like they can fight back or, or kind of fight for autonomy, which seems to be kind of like the main thing in the end. When the girls are saved, they're still disappearing, they're still dying, but they're getting a sense of like uh, closure. I think you've nailed it. I think you've touched directly on that, which appealed at least to the Western audience, but probably to everybody of like taking that agency back of, of mm-hmm. you know, reclaiming that ability to do something about your situation, which I think mm-hmm. is the correct and absolute uh, appeal of the show. The other thing I wanted to say regarding the perception in the west uh is that i just while it was airing i saw so many people for each issues the there's many different issues that are dealt with over the, each episode and after watching each episode there'd be somebody on on social media on discord some somebody saying this was a correct depiction of this issue that i have dealt with in my life personally and it really represented the struggle of that type of negative thinking or or suicidal thought or whatever it was that was shown so i i think that speaks to the efficacy of the show in dealing with these issues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think for the most part they do handle things pretty well I, there are some things where it's like there's a difference between like what's inherent to i guess being a girl and then like what is like a societal problem which which is where things get a little a little weird and maybe not so great, but we'll have to save that for the spoilers part of that. Yes, yes, <laughs> because yeah, but, but yeah. generally, yes, uh, it is. There are a lot of things that it's like this definitely could have been handled a lot worse. So I do appreciate how they handled it. It was definitely like really, um, a really ambitious series, and I think. Yeah, sorry, if you want to say something. <laughs> yeah, I just want to I just want to talk very briefly about the production of Wonder Egg Priority because it's something sure. that of course we'll have to bring up, but uh in in relation to the ambition of it. This is uh an original anime project. Um and two people that we need to shout out are the first-time director Shin Wakabayashi and the writer Shinji Nojima, who is first time writing an anime series. He had done um TV dramas before this. Mm-hmm. I've read a couple interviews, you know, um, you try and do your research, and there really was an element of pushing the boundaries, right? Like this raw ambition, like what can you do with animation that you can't do with a TV drama? And how can mm-hmm. we leverage that to make something interesting? You know, so many anime are just, you know, set in the back left corner of the room, just looking at the window <laughs> and, you know, the generic protagonist and nothing nothing fantastical happens over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine, you know, you can, you can just draw a simple show like that, but you can also do uh, weird things. There's this one specific Bob Dylan uh, phrase that I love, and it's that thin, wild, mercury sound. And I think that that really applies to Wonder Egg Priority. Um, mm. or, or I also like to compare it to, you know, Studio Ghibli, right? Like, mm. my favorite Ghibli movie is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is not even technically a Ghibli movie. It's f- made before Studio Ghibli was filmed. But it's... Right, um, right. 
it's Miyazaki, you know, right at the yeah. beginning of his career. You don't know there's going to be 30, 40 more years of, you know, <laughs> all these successes. You know, he's not mm-hmm. famous. And he, it's like you get one chance to put all this, you know, idea and your thoughts about the world into a an anime. And and you, you throw it all in there because you don't know that there'll be another one. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel watching Wonder Egg Priority. There's this raw ambition, this like, we're, we may never get a chance to do this again. And they may never, honestly. So mm-hmm. they they swung for the fences. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that was one thing that, like, really struck a lot of people right away, even, like, before the show actually started, like, from, like, trailers and promotional artwork, like, wow, there's a lot of, you know, really great detail, and it's, like, really beautiful, and it is definitely very stunning, but that might have been where it also kind of fell short by the end with all the production problems and then like, like rushing to get stuff done and all that. Right. We should, do you want to talk about that now? I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair to talk about now uh, before the spoiler point stuff. Anyway, the show had a lot of trouble with production. This happens, you know, a lot of times in animation. I think that like, for the most part, it's not necessarily clear. Like there's a whole issue with the, production of animation japan that people are trying to work on there's like more unionizing and people doing independent projects etc so there have been more attempts to try to like fix this problem but there is a major problem in the industry with like the the kind of rush of of things and and all of that um but basically you know they needed to outsource a lot and even reached out more uh internationally than than usual not to say because like i think most shows these days they have at least a few like non-japanese people working on them if not entire studios based in other countries but you know they were reaching out like in you know in english and uh and trying to get as many people as possible to help out with this show so yep. they can get their their uh, stuff out there and in order to help them with their i guess buffer they they made a recap uh, uh you know a clip show episode for episode eight you know which is a thing that happen sometimes in a lot of tv but it's obviously very jarring when it comes to a short like one season show like this yeah. and so with that they had to kind of finish off in this really interesting kind of uh way and then a few months later they created that special which the first half of which like recapped the show for everyone who forgot what the heck happened and yeah. then <laughs> got into like the actual ending of the show which we will talk about, but it's like, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, a little bit of a mess. And, you know, these things do happen. Like, that happened with several shows this season because there yeah, have been the, COVID outbreaks. And... Yep, the A1, produ- <laughs> A1 Pictures and the Nier Automata anime is still we are, in We are still waiting <laughs> to find yeah. out what happens. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, they'll have actually ep- released more episodes. But, right. um, yeah, it's, it's a constant thing, and hopefully we'll get to a place where this doesn't happen so much but yeah this was definitely a case where it really affected storytelling and everything and And you can definitely see by the end with the animation as well oh totally totally um and i i would also like to say that um it's perhaps partly contributed to by the inexperience of the entire team and right. you know biting off more than you can chew and not not mm. having that veteran hand guiding um the production so yeah i cloverworks is a great studio and i love a lot of their the anime that they've produced uh but definitely uh, there were stories of of animators winding up in the hospital from overwork on wonder egg priority they mm-hmm. got a lot of press while it was airing too that they were they were working themselves to death to get this series finished 
And, you know, I'll yeah. never, that's obviously a bad thing. Like that's, that needs to be changed. I wonder though, like that nature of Wonder Egg priority of it being, um, it, its scope being bigger than it can fulfill. Does it give it some sort of charm? Does it like almost <laughs> like you're watching a scramble or like a, not a half-baked product, but like kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you're watching them rushing to get, a, get it done or, or, or put it together? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, affects the the storyboarding by the end and, like, the way even just the movement of animation, etc. I guess what it reminded me of as far as, like, it affecting the final project was definitely, like, early Evangelion. Because, like, that was the same problem where it's just, like, we have have no money and we have to finish this somehow. And it really, really affected what the final outcome was in a way that really worked out for that series. But, you know... um, I think that it's really interesting to see, um, yeah, and obviously things were way different back then. And even just like <laughs> the the kind of the fact that like everything is, um, yeah, again, I think for me, it's a lot of the art style as well, because it's like you could have a really well animated series that's really interesting and not have like four different shades for each character, et cetera, like that, like slows down the coloring process and everything. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, I think. It's, yeah, again, just, you know, they could have, things could have been different. They they really were trying and I appreciate the attempt. And hopefully if they attempt to um, continue the story onward, you know, we'll see what happens. But hopefully they will have learned their lesson, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I want more Wonder Egg priority. Just, you know, for stuff we'll get into related to the plot and story reasons, but also just... You know, I want to. I want to see them get another shot at it, right? Or, or yeah, yeah. I also do think that that production, like story, like if people didn't watch the series, but all they know about it is like all the stuff that was in the news, then it's going to make them less likely to want to watch the show in the first place. Yeah, and I've heard the factor. Yeah, that's such a bummer too, because I've heard that you know that that narrative is the one that gets shared around when you talk about Wonder Egg Priority. That it's one unfinished and two was a mess of a production, and that mm-hmm. kind of overshadows the fact that it's a fantastic show that exists. And yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, it's still worth consuming, you know, even if it has its struggles. Hmm. It's interesting because it's very, in a weird way, comparable to two recent seasons of Pre-Gear with Healing Good Pre-Gear and Delicious Party Pre-Gear. They lost weeks of possible content and that affected the storytelling um, in ways that were a bit, you know, bigger. And in, in, well, for the most part, it was like, you know, when it's a huge production like that, that's a whole other story. But like, you know, it still had an effect, right? Yeah. Um, but people don't necessarily always fault those shows for that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess let's get more into the, the story a bit here. We get like kind of a one by one introduction of the, the main cast of four girls as we learn about what led to them getting to like being a Wonder Egg uh, fighter, I guess. So there's again, no title for these girls. They're just kind of there. But, you know, they, they each have like very different relationships to the uh, the girls that they are trying to fight for. You know, again, like the situations for each girl are very much based on their own uh, their own traumas. So like, for example, with Eyes Wonder Eggs are always girls that, you know, commit suicide because of bullying of some sort, usually from other girls at school or in episode two, I believe it was 
the gymnastics uh, coach slash teacher, just, you know, all sorts of different things, but basically like very similar to her own traumas. And then with uh, Rika, again, she's an idol. She's presumably not like a super famous idol, but like as famous enough to have stands. And basically the girl that she's um, fighting for was a stan who was just devoting her entire life to her. And she was fat and that became an issue for Rika because, well, the way she first explains it is that like she didn't want to be seen with a fat girl so she couldn't hang out with her. Things are a little bit deeper than that um, as we get to know her, of course. But, like, they do a really good job of making Rika's first impression just absolutely horrible. <laughs> oh, you like really the you like the Rika introduction? Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. rough in that first episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, they make you want to hate her, and then, like, yeah. you know, over time, you get to actually know her as a person, just like the characters get to know her more as a person. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for this, and she has her own traumas to deal with that are... Uh, very complex and you know they all have different like family uh, dynamics that are, are odd um. and then uh, Momoe uh, same thing with her that that all her monster of the day uh, girls are related to sexual identity and uh, sexual abuse right yes yes exactly so it's obviously again very very heavy um, and you know with her stuff it's always in a train station which is such an interesting yeah. place for that's like a you know literal place of of transition of transport so you know it's it's very interesting to to see that and the thing that like makes things kind of even rougher for her is like you know she's very much she identifies as a girl but she's often mistaken for a boy and every night these girls that she saved like fall in love with her yeah and sometimes they know that she's a girl and sometimes they don't and it doesn't matter which is just very interesting. And it's also like very tied to the reason for her being there in the first place. Um, I want to say the train station, yes. um, the locations of their fights are the locations where the person they're trying to help committed suicide, right? I think so. To be honest, I did not check that deeply. Because, I was not like uh, paying yeah. attention. The yeah. the statues are in the place. I think I believe this is right. Uh, uh, Nehru's is on the bridge, and both her mm-hmm. battles are on the bridge. And then yes, um, yes. the train station is her. The person Momoi is trying to save jumped onto the train tracks ostensibly. Yes, we don't, we don't yeah, that, that is yeah. that is part of it as well. Yes, sir. I, I thought you meant like at the end they always are waiting for the train with her dreams. Uh, so I yeah, thought you meant like the label, yeah. <laughs> like the sign for like, you know, where oh, the train okay. is going. Yeah, no, yes, yeah. yes. But yes, you're right. The the sites of each of their dreams are also the location of the suicides of each of uh, the girls that they are saving. Um, though for, for Rika's, it's like this open field and her yeah. victims are all like related to some sort of like worship, which is very interesting. Yep. Either other girls who love idols or, you know, there was a cult episode that was very interesting, of course. Yeah. yeah. I, say, I, I just love this monster of the day setup that they go with here. Like, th- this is one of the main things that appealed to me about Wonder Egg Priority is because, um, you know, I talked about this when I was on this very podcast talking about Princess Tutu and the way it handles monster of the day mm-hmm. uh, uh, troubles and having to talk them out and, and realize them that... Uh, you know, saving the girls is is this physical battle of beating back this colorful monstrosity, but it's also understanding the girls and, and yes. you know, validating the girls and being with them and saying your feelings are legitimate and I understand why uh, why you did it. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, for the most part, the girls are like, you know, in their own separate dreams, though they do talk to each other about like what happened and everything uh, every night. Mm-hmm. There is only one instance where um, I and Rika do get to fight together because their wonder eggs are like connected, um, which is very interesting. That was really good. And like, it was kind of exciting, but then like it doesn't happen again. Yeah, yeah. They play with a lot of <laughs> they play with a lot of ideas in this in mm-hmm. this dream sequence, and there's like, there's this element of using the items from the girls too. That uh, yes, uh, yes. That being some sort of visual metaphor of understanding their troubles and taking up their battles for them. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot going on in these dream sequences. There really is. Yes, absolutely. I think. It's just a lot of just interesting, again, like metaphors and everything going on. But just, yeah, really great to like just watch them in action and everything. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, as, as you're watching them solve the girls' problems, watching them solve their own problems through solving somebody else's problems. It's, uh, it's, it's, so, it's so cathartic, I think, or a great way of showing character progress and growth by having them mm. overcoming issues for other people. Yes, yes. And it also shows, you know, again, like, one of the things is like, you know, all these girls also become friends with each other. But it's also like the whole idea of like, you know, needing someone your own age to to talk to about these things, like the only people who could understand their feelings are other, like adolescent girls. Yep, that, yeah. that's that's like its whole topic. That's like a mm-hmm. that's like a treasure trove of what this show wants to say about everything is that mm-hmm. it puts so, so much emphasis even outside of the dream sequences on the relationships between the girls and then mm. building those relationships from everything from episode two, I shares a drink with Nehru on the, on the roof to like in episode five, they have this whole sequence where they go over to I's house and they sit down and talk together. And it's just them talking. It's just them being children, you know, interacting, you know? Right. And it puts so much weight on those moments and gives so much time to those moments that you really, that's what makes it feel like a magical girl show to me, because that's validated. That's, that's what they're doing. And that's the exact thing that's attacked in the, in the climaxes. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We haven't talked about them a lot, but the two guys that, again, are like made of fabric, uh, they do eventually reveal that they are um, human, but they're still human, but they just like abandon their bodies and just have their brains left. They do um, tell them like, so uh, I guess getting to kind of like the midway point here, uh, so episode six, uh, so these two guys, their names are Akka and Uraka. They notice that the girls are dealing with a new trouble. This kind of new creature has shown up called the haters or, or aunties uh, in Japanese. They're basically the same as the Sino evils, except that they're hiding behind masks and they're actually there specifically to pursue the girls, not not the wonder eggs, um, which were what the Sino evils were pursuing. So it's like things have amped up. So um, Aka and Uraka decide that they need more help. So out of the goodness of their own hearts, they <laughs> freely give them these uh, cute little pendants that, um, upon saying the right words, they summon these little animals. And in real life, they're like these cute little tiny little creatures. But then in the dream world, they become these giant creatures that are able to eat up all the haters and help them with their fights and so on. They're all very interesting as well because they have, let's see, we have the we have a snake, we have an alligator, a we have turtle. a turtle. 
and what's a lizard a chameleon they're all they're all reptiles right yes yes they're all reptiles they're all cold-blooded which is also interesting but yeah so with that we know that like you know just like with any magical curl series the fights are are escalating in a way yeah so i guess with that i'll make this our our kind of spoiler point here so for anyone who does not want to know what happens to the rest of the show and they want to go watch it for themselves please do yeah, please watch it. Please watch this show. We are here because we are, you know, enjoying it. Um, I watched the show. I didn't actually talk about, like, my experience with actually watching the show the first time. Yeah, I wanted to know, honestly. Yeah. So, again, I couldn't um, I couldn't watch it as I was airing. It was literally, like, when I realized that it was not very accessible. It was, like, after episode two had aired. So I watched episode two and was like, oh, I am so confused. I need to watch the first episode. So, okay, whenever it goes on streaming, I'll watch it. And then, like, I waited and waited, and it wasn't on any of the ones I was using. Um, I finally did find the one it was on, which I got a free trial for, and I watched it at that time. And it was, like, interesting, you know, to watch it the first time, you know, just, just to watch it, like, as a viewing experience and not for the podcast. Uh, and it was just like, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I did, you know, enjoy it and I could see the Magical Girl elements. I think the things that, like, bothered me a lot bothered me a lot, a lot the first time around. So I had to, like, sit with that a bit. But, you know, getting to watch it again for the podcast, I definitely found a new appreciation for it. So I do, like, in the end, I think it's good. And I think, again, it's a very ambitious series. And I think that for the most part, they do hit a lot of good things. I think... The ending for me is also like kind of unsatisfactory. So I feel like not to say that like that it was like a I guess a bad ending, but it was kind of like confusing and it made me yeah. wonder what the purpose was or like what they were trying to say overall. You know, again, the magical girl elements are there, especially with the heart, like you said, and like this being about everyday girls, like despite everything, still holding on to hope and helping out each other. But I still feel like there are other parts of the messaging that like needed to be expanded on and like they didn't have the capacity to do so. I, w- I would 100% agree with everything you have just <laughs> said. Uh, the way I like to look at it is like a, like a revolutionary girl Utana or a Madoka Magica that mm-hmm. just doesn't have the the ending catharsis there all the way. So if you if you like those shows, I would I would totally recommend um, you go watch Wonder Egg Priority. I would recommend you go watch it, even if you don't like those shows. I, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and then once again, we can watch the English dub. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm very curious about that, for sure. We we, we have to talk about the the ending <laughs> and some spoilery things, definitely. Yes, yes. So, you know, things get more serious with the girls with episode seven, which is um, Rika's birthday. She has referenced that her mom is, like, no good for a while, but we finally get to really see her and her mother interact. Her mother is a drunk. She owns a bar. Not to say that owning a bar is bad, but she's clearly like an alcoholic and also has a lot of troubles of her own. Yeah, not a not a functional mother, let's say. Yes, that. yes. You know, she at least remembers it as her birthday. She does remember it's her birthday. That's yes, yeah. yes. But her birthday present to her was, here's some money, buy yourself something. And Rika said, okay, I'll use this money to pay you. Tell me about my dad. When am I going to meet him? And basically what we learned in this episode, as she uh, also talks about with the girls, is that her mother doesn't seem to know her, who her father is. Yeah. 
or she's keeping it a secret. It's not quite clear. But the story she's gotten is that, oh, it could be one of these five guys, but I'm not sure. And it's heartbreaking, too. And, and it's like it shows that she has the trust in the other three to share with them that this is mm-hmm, something that mm-hmm. matters to her and that she wants to do it. And, like, the idea of this episode is that, like, if she was able to find her father, she would somehow, you know, that would be something that would, uh, I don't know, be something for her or let her improve her life or make her something. It's just some MacGuffin that she needs, Mm. that she wants to chase after. And, man, it's just so hard watching this episode and seeing her being so dedicated to finding her father. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's trying to, like, play it cool because that's her personality. She wants everyone to say think that she's just, like, totally chill and whatever. And it's very clear that, like, it's, you know, very hurtful. And I is the one who's able to kind of reach out to her because I is also raised by a single mother. Though she says she's able to see her father once a month, though we never see him in the show itself. Right. So there is that connection there between the two of them. Well, this this stretch of episodes from from seven to the Momo's episode is uh, has I be that person for for each of the other three girls, you know, mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. them be that best friend role that really helps them through their issues. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and that's of course why she is the main character, why she's a great leader, though she also has her own stuff to. to we get should also <laughs> say that yeah, this is, she she can only function in that role because of what happens in episode six that she yeah. she comes to a place where she can accept her issues enough that she returns to school and she does this huge big scene of running in the rain, going up yeah. to Mister Sawaki, which is her issue, and and mm-hmm, saying I'm mm-hmm. coming back to school and it, yeah, it's only enabled by that that yeah. she's able to help others. Yeah, it is. Um, there's certainly a lot of interesting things going on with Ai's stories. Again, like we haven't really quite talked about it, but the way that they tell the story as well is in all these little bits and pieces throughout the first half of the show. So you really have to like focus and try to put it together. But I think yep. it's kind of also like how it is for her, where it's like she's recalling all these little moments that she's trying to thread together, but she doesn't have enough information, especially regarding Koita's death, you know. But what she does remember yep. is, of course, Koito was bullied. At first, it seems like maybe she's bullied because I is bullied, and I is bullied because she has heterochromia. Um, her own name is a pun on odd I, which is heterochromia in, in uh, Japanese. Did, I wanted to ask you specifically, yes. with some context of Japanese you know, school life, would I's heterochromia be reason enough for bullying? Because that seems absurd to me. I think yes. Oh, wow. I have very, very little experience of actually going to a Japanese school, but with my experience, like the things that made me stand out, like really stood out. And bullying in school and Japanese school is still a huge problem in general. But yeah, anything that like, you know, especially if it's like regarding school rules and stuff like that. And like, of course, she can't do anything about having heterochromia. And from my understanding, very rare in Japan anyway. But like, for example, you know, in the real world, like there's a lot of school rules regarding, you know, hair and how your hair texture should be, how you should wear your hair, etc., which can extend to even adulthood. Uh, I work in a place that has very strict rules about hair, like literally like men can't have long hair levels of, of uh, strict, you know, and that's also a factor of, uh, of bullying for a lot of kids, especially if you're like mixed or not ethnically Japanese and you uh, don't fit in for that reason. Like that's going to be a, a major target. Um, 
I, I'm sure from a non-Japanese perspective, it might sound like really wild, but it's definitely like a a kind of unfortunate side of, um, you know, like tall poppy stuff, I think, more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. We should mention the flower symbol, uh, symbology in, in this show. Man, you just, <laughs> that like struck a light bulb in my head of like, you know, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. so many sunflowers and other flowers that are, there's a whole, yes. there's a whole mess of stuff. You could dive down and look into that if you're interested. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do want to bring up one thing. Thank you for the context on um, the cultural thing, because that was something that I did not understand watching the show the first time. But also you brought up one of the other things that I love about Wonder Egg Priority is the subtlety for which information is provided and how it is ambiguous, how it is not clear what mm. is truth and what is somebody's perception of truth. And that yeah. is absolutely intentional that is absolutely uh one of the hallmarks of my favorite shows <laughs> and it makes it hard to figure out which way is up and obvious mm. it's like so very clear that that is intended to place you in the confusing and unsettling point of view that these girls are experiencing yeah yeah for sure and i think i think especially because like it is very clear from the girls' experiences, whether it's the four girls or the the girls that they're saving, like they're that age is like this sense of like starting to become an adult and like being thrust into adult situations or like dealing with problems from adults, but still being a child actually and not really having everything, you know, to, to help you out there. Like I feel so lucky all the time that like I had, you know, like pretty risky situations where like if I didn't have an adult in my corner and I had my parents in my corner like I probably would have been in a lot more trouble than I had any idea that I like it took me like years to figure out you know some of the things that had happened to me at that time so it's like yeah just like so intense and especially so in Japan for a myriad of other reasons like it's just you know there's a lot of stuff going on there that's just like oh I just want to I just want these girls to know it's okay, but I also know that it's like, I can't promise them that either. You know, it's just so, the society's rough, um, basically. It's the whole, the whole point of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the best you can do is be there for them. Best you can do is yeah. say, I, I hear that. That is, that is rough. And I, I understand your troubles and your issues. And those are, those are totally valid. And I don't know what's right either. But I, mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. be here with you. And like in episode, uh, what is it, eight, when they when they press the button together on to... Mm-hmm. It's like, that's that's all I can do is just be here for you. Yeah. But the, the ambiguity, right? I made a video on this on my channel, right? That you are expecting there to be some bad guy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think there there is in Wonder Egg Priority. But for most of the run of Wonder Egg Priority, you're not sure who you should hate or who you should be directing your anger at as a viewer. And right. that's it's I think that's really unsettling for people, especially in today's modern media space where you have Marvel movies and it's very clear that Thanatos is just gonna snap and kill all of the half of the world. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> this is a show where it's not that clear. Where it's it's yes. incredibly hard to figure out who's telling the truth and what where your anger should be directed at. And mm-hmm, I think a mm-hmm. lot of people don't like that. Yeah, I, there are extents to which I don't like it in this show. I think the main one just being with Mr. Sawaki. Yeah. So, you know, the, the main thing by this point that we have, you know, figured out is like, so he's the teacher that comes to Ai's home every week to give her, you know, all the worksheets so she can stay, you know, 
in school, like she's doing her studies, right? And so he spends a lot of time talking to her mother. And he also like has made it clear in his off time at, at school that he wants to be an artist. And with Koito, it's very clear that at some point, like I walks in on them, like like him holding her. And it's very unclear as to what happened because I just like ran off. She's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And she didn't, she had no idea how to process it. She didn't even want to ask. And so like, we're left wondering what that was about as well. So that becomes a whole thing. And then Mm -hmm. what I find very interesting, that's very important as well, is that Momoe is his niece. So we have someone in the kind of main team who was related to this man. By the time Rika is like processing what I tells her and it's like, oh yeah, this guy could be a creep. He could, you know, like have yeah, done yeah. something with Koito, etc. And and all this stuff is like, it's just like so intense. And Momoe does not want to hear it, of course, because it's her uncle. Yeah, yeah. And she vouches for his character. And then he's dating Ai's mom. And yes. wants to date Ai's mom. And then Nehru in episode six comes up with the thing of like, you you have feelings for him. You're attracted to him, Ai. And all these balls that I's juggling or attempting to juggle, like, and and failing, you know, to try and understand what Mr. Sawaki is and what he means. And I think the beautiful thing about that confusion and that ambiguity is that Mr. Sawaki becomes, in episode 12, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but, like, (laughs) when he's the the other I from another world who killed herself, he's the final boss, right? He's the reason that she did it. That she was unable to be like this I and f- sort those feelings out and figure it all out. Mm-hmm. And it was just too overwhelming for her. So, yeah, his ambiguity is hard, right? It's hard. Like you said, it's hard to watch. It's hard to consume, especially when he, he has that picture of I. Like he draws the picture of I for his art exhibit. And there's yes. a scene where I shows up to it. And you're like, is this weird or... Like he he has a line of like you'll yeah. you'll grow into a beautiful woman like your mother and I'm like whoa what <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was like, you know? like this is supposed to solve part of the mystery of him where it's like oh yeah you really love my mom don't you and it's like this does not answer any of the questions actually <laughs> this is like this. This could still be true, and then everything else could still be true. So what's going totally, on? Totally. But, you know, again, that's why I love it. That's why I think it's effective that it does not give you that catharsis and does not tell you which way is up. Because mm-hmm. then when that all goes down, you're not supposed to know. Right. Because I doesn't know. You, you're you only supposed to understand I's feelings and emotions in that moment. And Hmm. trust in her to make the best choice that she can. And I think that's that's this core thing that I really, really love. And I think that it reflects, you know, I talked a lot about Madoka Magica on my channel, you know, 16 hours of me going through every scene. And that's mm-hmm. something I see there. You can't understand everything about what you have with that limited inf- inf- information or sharing with somebody else. But at least you can just understand their feelings and their emotions like they do for the Wonder Egg girls. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, the most important aspect for sure. It's again just like just like real life. A lot of times, kids are yeah. figuring stuff out on their own, and they can't really confide to anyone. It's like she can't talk to her mom about it because she's apparently gonna date him, and like you know that would yeah. cause a lot of awkward conversation. Like even if like nothing actually had happened, the fact that she would bring it up would even be its own thing. 
And then like, yeah, the, the other girls, you know, are the only ones she can talk to about it. But even then, they all see things in a very different yeah. way. Yep. And Momoi, again, is related to him. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily negate anything either. That's a thing that's true about a lot of actual, like, predators of, of young girls. Is like, oh, totally. a lot of yeah. people in their life think they're a perfectly normal and wonderful, kind person. It's all very complicated. And I think that it can be, like, almost too real sometimes with yeah. this show. Which is <laughs> yeah. part of why it's, like... It takes a lot to like be ready for it, and I think yes. that's why it's like so important to warn people about all the different things in the in the series. Yeah. But yeah, and then like you know, getting to again the stuff with uh, the autonomy, etc. So like with uh, Nehru's episode, which we just briefly mentioned there, we finally get to go to uh, her giant uh, company <laughs> that she lives in the basement floor of. We learned that like. I think it's supposed to be like Mensa, which is really funny, but it's like she's basically a member of Mensa, like Platzi or whatever. Yeah. You know, she says she was a product of, of IVF and like, you know, it was just like two different uh, people who are just like apparently super geniuses decided to just mix their DNA for the purpose of that, which is like, oh, that's kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> well, you know, we're full spoilers now, so we know even with the special episode, that's that's not even true, right? Like, right, she's, right. Uh, she's artificially constructed, right? Yeah. But yeah, her, her <laughs> telling her that, that it's a magical girl thing, right? The family role in the magical girl show is key, mm-hmm. and that you know, her not having any type of family is just... Uh, yeah, so she yeah. has, um, you know, she has her main um, secretary, Tanabe, who is, you know, very... <laughs> she's sus. By this point, yeah, she's a bit sus. But uh, she, you know, she's there and shows that, like, they show that, like, for whatever reason, you know, we can see the dreams that Nehru has every every night. And so they uh, watch through one of them with uh, her friend, Kotobuki, who... Yeah, it's like someone who was also a, a member and is also like, you know, a genius in her own rights. But her whole thing is that she was playing, she was quite literally like testing death yeah. and went too far. The whole thing was that she needed to die in this world. And it turns out that like parallel world exists is like something she had figured out in death. But basically her body is in this vegetative state. And so it's her request from Nehru's like, I don't want adults to touch my body so, you know, basically asking her to kill her. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously a very difficult thing. And the girls are all debating about whether or not it's appropriate, etc. And I is the one who finally talks to Nehru about like, okay, but why did she say that? And they talk about that. And she's like, well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Like, okay, I understand. And so they go through with it. And it's like, you know, obviously... Yeah very emotional for them and and all of that but it's a very interesting kind of thing it opens up a whole lot of extra like possibilities with the world yeah the the plot the hard plot of wonder egg priority is boy that it's it's something and it brings up a lot of different ideas like all the stuff about thanatos and the warriors of eros and whatever happens in episode 11 and all that (laughs) stuff it's just uh, i don't know how much we're supposed to even care about all the specific proper nouns and everything but the main theme of the assisted suicide and the exploitation of Nehru and like, man, uh, we kind of skipped over uh, Rika's uh, self-harm episode too, but like yeah, the, yeah. those two coming back to back are just like, oh God, they're so emotionally, <laughs> I don't know, so heavy. Mm-hmm. That's, that was a, yeah. that was a tough, stre- tough stretch, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, it's like touching very heavy subjects. So each episode is is very heavy. And yet Rico's episode is the the cult episode. Um, I think it might be referencing a specific cult. uh, Actually, there is a name dropped in the episode during that scene in the real world that is a leader of an actual cult. So Oh, really? Wow. I was like, "Mm, okay, it's not that kind of cult. But you know, like, I get it. Yeah. So in any case, you know, it's like, you know, this girl whose family had like uh, lost everything and they had, you know, given everything to this uh, apparent great leader. And he also was starting to convince Rika, you know, to, to give in. And it's it's, it's very heartbreaking because at this point, you know, the pendants are used like the girls can actually communicate with each other through the dreams and they're always checking in on each other. And they're unable to get to her, but they really want to help her, and they're trying to reach out to her. It's finally, you know, her uh, her turtle companion, Mannen, who, like, protects her, and it's so cute, and, like, their their connection is so nice. But, yeah, it's just, it's, again, very emotionally um, intense. Yeah. Yeah, that scene where they talk Rika off the cliff, man, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a real good one, uh, especially the way it's animated and everything. Yes, um, yes. But I think a lot of people in that episode really reflected on the, the self-harm and the cutting aspect of that. That's kind of what mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. I heard a lot of people say hit them the most out of everything in the show, um, which I, I totally understand if they have some type of experience with that or history with it. It's it's an accurate de- depiction of the struggles of not only like cult lifestyle, but also you <laughs> yeah. know, why you would why you would do the self-harm. Yeah, definitely. It's. Uh, a part of the whole world of like suicide that we're in so it's like you can't yeah. avoid that topic you know yeah. it's just like the next step beyond that so it's you know yeah it is definitely you know very emotionally intense and again like these four girls seem very close to like the same precipice that all these the, the, the wonder eggs are yeah. in so it's <laughs> yeah it's just a lot <laughs> yeah no it's totally unsurprising when in the 12th episode you see i oto come out of the wonder egg and you're like right. ah, yeah she she very much possibly could have killed herself in another life yeah but before we get to that we do have to talk about uh, momoe's episode as well oh right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. again very emotionally intense in general with with her uh her episodes uh, in particular what happened in this episode is uh, she she gets asked out by a boy for the first time and it's like very exciting for her and so she gets really dressed up she gets oh. the only dress that she has on and oh. finds out that the boy had asked her out because he had thought she was a boy and so it's like everything compounds over and over again and like it's a microaggression but like like with all microaggressions we see it happening over and over is it, is it even a microaggression i thought it was an honest <laughs> mistake by the boy oh. well no i mean yeah, of course, it could be an honest mistake. And that seems to be what they all are in general is an honest mistake. And yeah. while it's not I... necessarily something that uh, is clear, may- maybe in the modern day of, of myself, but when I was in high school, I also had a very similar short haircut and would often be mistaken for a boy in public. And it hurts. Like, it's hard to explain. Oh, God. I mean, some people are trying to, you know, present a specific way and, and all of that. And, and we get to that with... Uh, her victim of the week the only the only character who's a wonder egg who is not a girl but it's like one time is like whatever but then it keeps happening and then it's like well what's wrong with me what am i doing wrong why you know it's it's it it becomes a a thing that like reflects on yourself and momo's present momo's presentation of you know being perceived as a boy is like that that 
is again a totally understandable and valid thing i i was just my comment was only to say that like there was no intent behind them right. perceiving momoe as a boy that he just mist- mistook her right right absolutely and and you know that's that is the nature of a, a lot of these things it's yeah. just like it's again yeah. with every case it is an honest mistake you know uh when rika and and Neidu first meet her they also make the same mistake and they're like right, hey right. what's going on i thought no boys allowed in this little club but what's what is this and you know uh, aka and uraka explain they go on their whole spiel about like girl suicides and boy suicides oh which is like, we can't so, even we, we get, uh, get to them get to them in a minute when we talk yes, about yes. the rest but i want to yeah. say that for moe's presentation of her issues and her insecurities absolutely that first thing where eyes like where they start talking about adam's apples how they love adam's apples right yeah. where, where, <laughs> like yeah, she yeah. she said i see a crying girl that's what she says i see a crying girl yes yes or even later on that first half of episode 10 or even mm-hmm. the first before the intro of episode 10 the directing on that where momoe is preparing for her date and man that that levels me that just mm-hmm. like oof, that hurts so much when when she tells them that uh he was ex- the the guy was expecting to go on a yeah, date with the guy yeah. that was ugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know at this point we have to point out that like we had found out at the at the end of the last episode like it seemed that like that that lady tanabe is talking to aka and uraka and you know rika and <laughs> and they're like what's going on here there there's very clear like signs of like you know not being told every the whole truth and, and all of that and just as they're going to like actually talk to them about it they get the text from momoe like a boy asked me out and they're like okay we have to drop everything yeah. like it's yeah. so it's such a great ex- uh, example of like how the magical girl part it's important but it's not as important as real life stuff yeah 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 or i would say the fantasy uh the magical part is less important than the girl stuff yes you brought yes, up yes this is my single favorite scene in wonder egg priority with, <laughs> because, because of everything it says about the genre right like they mm-hmm. are going in on the plot they're like holding the aka's feet to the fire they're like we know you've got some deception going on we know there's some plot and then their friend gets asked out on a date and they're like oh, none of this matters. Like, literally <laughs> yes. nothing. Like, this is not important. And and we need to be somewhere else. And and the yes, line, I yes. believe, uh, that the Akas have is, girl talk takes priority, mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. And and yes, yeah, yes. and then it, then it goes on to Momoi's issues. And I, I just, uh, if I had one scene to say what is a magical girl show, it's exactly that. Yes. <laughs> definitely definitely it was it was really it's it's quite entertaining and again a very light-hearted moments and like there and which of which there are many you know throughout the show um despite like all the heavy stuff going yeah. on and yeah, there is. you know just as momo is in the in the peak of her own like dealings with like her feelings about her gender presentation and everything and just wanting to be seen as a girl you know she gets this wonder egg who is a boy very clearly a, a trans boy um I do want to point out as far as the the language of this episode, it's very much like how uh, how trans people are still talked about generally in Japan by like, I guess, lay people, like lay cis people, where like you have this idea of like, well, um, you know, he says like, oh, you know, don't worry, like in my heart, I'm a boy. And I think that the English uh, subtitles say like inside I'm a boy, right? Which is like, it's not necessarily the 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 uh common parlance at the in the modern age you know even today like there's people have have figured out like better ways to discuss these topics but in any case that's how uh, he describes himself um 
But yeah, it's like a very intense, um, very intense episode where his story is like that, you know, he, he had tried to confide in his kendo instructor about his feelings about his gender and his reaction was to rape him. And it was like the, it is like, so it's, it's like the worst possible outcome, right? Like the worst betrayal of trust and, and everything. Um, and so yeah, he felt the need to, to take his own life. And again, this is where it's like oh, the, you, the whole you, show you, gets so messy with. Uh, well, I, oh, I'll sorry. speak to that real quickly, but mm-hmm. he, he also gets gets pregnant from the rape. Yes. And yes, that's another yes. aspect where you're just like, Whoa, I, I'm not, this is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not something I was prepared to uh, deal with. Wow. Right, right. Uh, I think that also like, it also makes it clear what happened because the way he talks about it is like a little vague and the and the scene that we see it, it doesn't show anything right but it just shows like it shows the 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 kind of initial attack of it and understanding what's going to happen and all of that and it's very unfortunate that like it's not like goodness I, I think this is like the only time I've really ever seen the topic of corrective rape come up in really yeah. much media at all but it yeah. is it is unfortunate uh part of of general queer phobia and etc this idea yeah. of like this is going to uh fix you etc and the the monster and like the way that like oh boy his, the drawings uh, <laughs> <laughs> the monster designs are generally really really wild but this one is like this this is yeah. probably one of the oh yes <laughs> just yeah. it's it's quite uh gross and in and, and so many yeah. ways and he has him like trapped in this glass heart and his whole thing is like he's like he how could he possibly be a boy because he's so cute and and all that and it's just it's so heartbreaking because this is a, again this is a very real possibility this is a thing that has happened before in real life and yeah. he also is likewise confusing momo for a boy and uh, is all like, oh, I'm gonna fight any boy that comes after, you know, Kaoru. And I should point out, Kaoru is a is a um, kind of genderless name, so you know, it goes right, both right. ways. Luckily, but but yeah, it just um, it is just really interesting to see them both fighting for their gender in this way. Um, but yeah, just it's it's like such a good episode but then like i keep yeah. thinking about the fact that like everything up to this point has been all this stuff about girls 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 and like this strong separation of gender it's very frustrating right. yeah right so so i want to talk about the the i think that is an accurate representation of what i've heard uh how, how people took this episode that they right. understood it to, uh, to be an honest story about a trans man and and like right. the struggles that you would undergo and it very uh true to life and very impactful for Momoe's character arc too when they kiss at the end um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think people generally understood that I think there was this large uh blowback when people were like well only the girls should be in the eggs you know and and the I think that if you're struggling with that or or if that's uncomfortable the in-universe explanation is that the Akas create the Wonder Eggs, right? Mm-hmm. They they literally say they put these girls in the Wonder Eggs, and um, Akka has a line to Uraka later of like, "Did you put that in eyes, you know, Wonder Egg, or make a I be eyes Wonder Egg?" And the um, and they the Akas themselves are 
the most misogynistic uh, and mm-hmm. kind of like hateful towards women just in, in several aspects or not understanding them or whatever you want to say. But like, it, it's yeah, kind of direct uh, misogyny, I would say. Yes, just yes. The lines that they have over the thing is like, you clearly do not care for the uh, women as women or just like as people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the fact that those two characters would put a trans man in an egg that they reserve for only girls does not strike me as something that they would not do no yeah that that is absolutely a, a very good point it is it definitely is like this thing where it's like yeah they're they are the villains in that yeah. way like not to say that they're the villains of the show but like in this way they are the the kind of um I would say that they're the villains of the show. Do you, that's do you fair, think that's otherwise? Fair. Or should we get to episode 11? Yeah, I think oh, we could talk more about that as we get to yeah. Uh, yeah 11. But they are unreliable in that way. And so it is really their error more than the error of the narrative. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't I, I would not say that the, the script writer considers, you know, trans men to be women. You know, like right. that that's not what anybody I think took from that episode. But I, I was seeing that feedback mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. yeah i think that it's it's one of those things where it's like it gets complicated when it's like what is the message and then it's like what does the writer want you to think about what's being said and and it's you know the the complex part of writing <laughs> yeah that that reading of you know there being a problem in this episode with the him being in an egg is like clearly unintended or or i think clearly unintended but mm-hmm, you know I'd, yeah, I'd, I would say don't let point. that ruin the show for you, anybody listening. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure, yeah. With the end of all this, you know, again, like, she gets the kiss from Kaoru, so she gets a kiss from a boy for the first time. It's a big deal for her because we know from, you know, throughout the show that she is interested in boys. So she's quite happy about it. Uh, after that, she is the first one to clear the the wonder egg stage right so yeah. the the girl that she wanted to save harukashi is um brought back and it basically what we see is like she is back but she disappears so we understand that like she is kind of saved but is still dead or like faded away and then this is where things again take another twist another turn. yeah boy do like, they there wasn't enough uh, as is so uh, after this um it's like okay so you know momo's all done that seems very exciting but then this mysterious creature with a bug head comes out of yeah. nowhere giggling like a little schoolgirl and dressed like a little schoolgirl otherwise um and it's like tries to make a, a move to attack momo ends up attacking her her familiar instead and killing it she had the the, the, the alligator right and yeah. as part of that this wild monster like eats the crocodile and then forces momo yeah. to eat it just and, just graphic hyper violence just insanely yes. it's some gorgeous animation but ugh, <laughs> incredibly off-putting it's very very sudden and very shocking and it's like wait what is this who is this what's happening yeah. Yeah. And we know uh, from her introduction that this this creature's name is a uh, hyphen, and yeah. we get from the Akas that like no Momo's not coming back. She she cleared everything right. She's it's game over for her, so it's it's all good. And they don't talk to her, so they don't like at that time they don't know what's going on there. She doesn't reach out to them about what happened or anything. They so they think everything is fine. The other three think everything is fine, as far as they know, and. 
Rika likewise ends up going through the same thing at the beginning of episode 11 uh, after she saves um, Chiemi, right? The the yep, yep. former fan. A hyphen comes and in, yeah, or Dot. This time know. it's, uh, yes, a Dot, who is likewise also... I think in this case, Dot does try to attack Rika, but um, Manen does save her and is just destroyed in the process. Just completely obliterated. And Dot is like laughing and she's like, you know, Frill taught me that if everyone's like laughing and smiling. Yeah. Said I should laugh. Yeah. I can't possibly be scary, etc. And it's like really, again, very hyperviolent, very terrifying. And then uh, meanwhile, at uh, uh, night, because uh, it is nighttime. Uh, rather than dreaming, I ends up going over to the Aga's um, house and kind of ended up wandering in and um, see some stuff maybe she shouldn't have seen, like a lot of research. And so Uda Aka sits her down and starts talking about the past. And this is where we find out what they were like when they were still, you know, 100% human. We don't know how far back this goes. Um, but this is like, you know, before everything. And they had created this AI who called herself Frill. And they had talked about how they decided to create a 14-year-old um, AI girl. Because, like, that is this kind of uh, in-between of, of childhood and adolescence. So not quite an adult, but not quite a child. And, um, you know, we see like them, like, kind of raising her and, and everything. And, like, clearly having this really happy life together until... Um, Aka gets married. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he meets. Uh, though together, actually, the two of them, both Akas, meet Azusa and everything. Um, you know, she gets uh, she gets pregnant and yep. finds out that like, you know, this is going to be uh, a girl. Frill is not happy about any of this, and so she decides to kill Azusa by uh, throwing a I think it's a hair dryer. Yeah, <laughs> in hair dryer the bathtub. Yep. So electrocuting her, but the child they is saved. Saved the baby, yeah. Yes, uh, little Himari. We see the whole story of her growing up and everything as well, being raised by her father and her uncle um, until her 14th birthday. And this is also where it gets a little strange because, like, she's talking with uh, Udaaka, right, who's her uncle, and talking about how, like, you know, when she grows up, he can marry her, which sounds like a very childlike thing to say. But she's 14, so it's kind of, like, extra weird, I feel like. Because <laughs> it's like, we you hear that from kids, like, when they're really, really young. That's, yeah, like, a super yeah. normal thing to say. Hearing that from a 14-year-old is like, okay, we, we have we have trouble here. This is this is weird. And at this point, we've known this whole time, like, Udaka has been seemingly single. We, we never see him have any sort of woman in uh, his life. And we also, like, generally in his, his uh, telling of everything... He talks about how, like, they never really understood women before even making frill, and they still feel like that, like, they're, you know, trying to figure out girls, which is very interesting for people who were so bold as to create an AI. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this this episode, you know, before we get to the rest of the events of episode 11, I really mm -hmm. want to emphasize that this episode is unreliable narration to the mm -hmm, maximum. Mm -hmm. uh, we have no idea what's, what's accurate and what's correct um, and what's true. Uh, because Araka is the only lens by which we see this uh, play out. And yes. I think that's the only way that I'm really able to understand or, or consume the events of episode 11. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's just like, like, this can't be literally true, what Araka says. It's just too 
too unbelievable. It has to be a, a, for what he believes happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see this later on when um, for the murder of Azusa, they literally take Frill and shove her in a like a like a like an underground casket thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they they st- stomps on her to get her in there and then they raise Himari and uh they never they never talk about Frill until, you know, just randomly she decides to commit suicide and mm. and they they credit this to Frill. And then Uraka yes. has this scene where he goes down and he, you know, he pulls out the, pulls out Frill from the thing. She's, he's like, you did this. You, you, you caused Tamari to kill herself. And Frill, Frill, you know, denies everything or like, are you praising me? And it's all really weird and really creepy. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then Uraka drags her into an abandoned building and lights her on fire. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh. Yeah, so and this is all supposed to be the catalyst for them getting into the Wonder Egg project and everything because they're just trying to figure out right. why girls of this age keep killing themselves. And, and they basically are claiming it's to stop it and everything. So you mentioned like this being kind of an unreliable narrator. This is a good time, I think, to bring up the names of Akka and Uraka. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. I don't know this, so I'm interested to hear we, we talked about this before recording. You said you didn't know the meaning, so I'm excited to tell you. The spelling in English of A-C-C-A is kind of a hint, but um, Aka is short for accounts, and Uda-Aka is short for, like, uh, back account. So it, this is used in social media cases to talk about, like, for example, posting on main and then posting on your side account or Finsta. Oh. So it's like you it's like if you have two Twitters, you have your main Twitter and your your other Twitter, and so your your other Twitter is your Udaka. Oh now that's a unique uh perspective, man. I that wow. Yeah. That that's really cool because at the end of episode eleven, uh Aka says to Uraka, so why'd you decide to tell I that uh and I think there's a, a lot to be said about the, the you know, Akka versus Ura-Akka and their different goals and perspectives and way of looking at the world. You know, Ura-Akka mm-hmm. is not as uh, attractive as Akka and, and, you know, he tends to be a bit looser. So that, that, that feeds all into the uh, back account or like, you know, secondary account. Mm-hmm, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was first like thinking about it, I think especially upon rewatching this episode in particular and seeing the flashbacks, I kept thinking, is this a Fight Club situation? Are they actually the same person? You know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's like, I love it. It's like, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're they, they're stated to be brothers, and there are certain things that like Udaka experiences that Aka does not apparently, and they do have right. seemingly different jobs and stuff. So they do seem to be two different people, but it's still like. What if you know? You never know, right? No, that's a that's a viable reading, honestly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that both both readings are are valid. I, I want to say yeah. so at least. So yeah, I just oh, think man. that 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 context, which I think is kind of obvious for a Japanese perspective, if you're online at all, I, I think that that is interesting uh, as a factor that might not necessarily get translated. If that makes yeah, sense, I don't think any. I've never heard anybody in English share that mm-hmm. that information. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's like, this is kind of important because it's like, 
their names aren't similar for like no reason, right? Because like obviously right. their names right. are not really um they're not like like actual Japanese names, right? They're they're kind of yeah. they seem like nonsense. Um but yeah. So so there's that. So so I think I it just I'll just hit real quickly the general perception of like this is the one where everybody considered Wonder Egg had lost it or had uh-huh. lost the thread or yeah, you can't have two more episodes functionally, but you know one episode in the main run and then a special episode you can't have Mm -hmm. that much time left and bring in all this stuff about frill about the popping of the lips about all the background of everything and kind of expand the world that much we were expecting sort of the wrap-up to happen here right yeah i think it's so interesting because like it's like you know we get this hint earlier on that like yeah something is going on there's more to this project than meets the eye so this is them explaining the whole story but it's also like a really wild explanation it probably feels really out of left field considering all the other stuff going on and again we don't know how long ago any of this was obviously we can see that like frill doesn't age at least according to this story And she's the one that creates the uh, the three characters that are yeah, dot hyphen and the other one with a very long name. Right. <laughs> if you don't look at it logically, if you don't mm-hmm. if you don't take the actual stuff that's going on, and instead we look at it thematically of like what this represents, and it's the establishment of this system that is exploiting these girls. Yeah. It is a patriarchal, and it is you know hurtful or like using them to the end of obtaining what the Akas eventually want right Mm -hmm. like and if you look at it in that way then it becomes this like justification of the akas trying to demonize frill or vilify frill and blame frill instead of Mm -hmm. her being the victim right and i think that's really hard to get there because you have mm. to really consider most of what Araka says to be BS or like <laughs> warped in a way, you know, sure. that he's not telling you everything. But I think if you do that and we don't see Frill as the villain going into the special episode, mm-hmm. then it becomes a lot easier to appreciate Wonder Egg priority and where it was going with all of its uh, ambitions. Yeah, I think what's interesting is I think what you pose is kind of maybe the reaction that happened is kind of maybe like the correct reaction, but directed the wrong place. Like this is all like you said, like this is all like them justifying everything. And what's interesting is like we see them, you know, again, exploiting these girls, making them go through these very emotionally traumatic things and also physically traumatic. If they get too injured, then they can get hospitalized. (laughs) And then like their reasoning is like, there were two men who were just like geniuses. They didn't understand girls or women at all, create a girl. And then apparently this girl went evil of their own creation again. And they're now trying to research real girls and women in order to like understand what happened. It's like the final end goal is still not really quite clear. It's like if it's just to understand at this point or, or what have you, but it's so much. And then it's like, yeah, it's, it, the blame should be again put on on the two of them like they're the ones that started this whole mess in a way I, I but feel like, very strongly about that yeah yeah at the same time like you know even like, outside of the system like all the victims that kill themselves would still be doing that yeah yeah so right that's so the there, other th- thing. there is some gray area there of like 
and and the special episode goes into this of what what does resurrecting the person mean or you know mm-hmm, the parallel mm-hmm. universes and everything but there like i don't think we can completely demonize aka and araka because their actions are leading to the redemption of these girls Mm-hmm. Even if it is manipulating other girls to go understand them and do the do the hard mm-hmm. labor and dirty work for them, yeah. right? And also pay for it again. That that part is yeah. <laughs> why do they have to pay for the eggs? Yeah. Why? What is yeah. this capitalism? I don't understand. Like it's just yeah, yeah. It's a metaphor, you know. No, definitely. It's like it's it's all a, like definitely could be read as like a bunch of metaphors for like reality and patriarchy and society, etc. But it's like, yeah, it's a lot. But at the same time, they also have to justify this to I because she's the last girl left who hasn't finished her yeah. mission. Yeah. So that's what leads her to you know episode twelve. They don't make it clear that it's her last chance, but it's like, it seems like, well, if everyone else is also finishing up, I guess it's my turn as well. And then, yeah, yeah she cracks the egg. At first, she doesn't want to, right? Because, like, yeah. and she doesn't even want to release uh, Pat Chameleon Leon. Leon. Yeah. Yeah. Star, a, star, a Star Fox reference, by the way. <laughs> like, is it? <laughs> yeah, the, the the chameleon and star, star Wolf is named Leon. Yeah. I just figured it was like, well, Leon is in Chameleon, so... Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's where that's the, the uh, mm-hmm. Star Fox one comes from. It could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but in anyway. any case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either way. I doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. she sees her herself at the start of episode one, basically, mm-hmm. or in another timeline where she didn't become this magical girl, and she, mm-hmm. you know, had to deal with the same issues and ended up killing herself and, like... yeah. I love this episode. I I really do. I really mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. using I as uh you know reflective on how far she's come, mm-hmm. and and what the relationships to the other girls meant to her. Um, this I never had any friend. There was no Koito. There was no right. you know three other girls that mm-hmm. shared her pain. So, um, it it speaks to what that relationship really meant to I and and mm-hmm. how far she's come because of it. Yes. Yes. And. This isn't, like, the first time it's ever happened. Like, we see this a lot in other Magical Girl shows where it's, like, the Magical Girl, usually it's, like, versus herself, like, fighting the dark version of herself or something right, like right, that. Right, right, or not even, yeah. like, completely dark. Like, in Hardcatch, it's not really a dark version of them. But, like, it's still, like, there's communication necessary, you know? Um, so it, yeah. it's very interesting to see that kind of, like, in this case, like, she's still a victim and, like, she's protecting herself obviously it's in the end like very therapeutic and everything and um this episode is also like it can be a little hard to follow sometimes because again it's like everything is just all over the place and they're going back and forth into different times and conversations and things and then like like the kind of monster again is um saki who is an artist and so it's like this giant head with it's like a almost like an alien like spaceship or something yeah, and like UFO, the yeah. yeah the paint tubes like dripping and like one of them is like acid the other one is like slippery or whatever and yeah. they end up falling into the pool which is apparently where this i had killed herself and he drops like a single bit of blue and it just like colors her world and like she starts going through all this stuff in this blue place and it's so wild and like the eye who's fighting has to figure out how to get out and like everything it's just so uh it's so moving and exciting and and like she wins i guess in the end but it's yeah, yeah it's just very... pulls her out of the pool right 
I love so much about Wonder Egg Priority is how they make the visuals on screen or the representations of the problems that are shown in uh, the show match the the characters' issues and thoughts and struggles, in, mm. you know, that they're going through. Like, it's an accurate that's, – that's what I think is the highest level of, of visual narrative storytelling is making mm. the thing shown on screen be the thing that the characters are experiencing or thinking about or, or you know, accurately represent that. And my favorite yeah. works all do this, and, and this is why Wonder Egg I love so much. Yeah, definitely. Again, like, the visual style and everything, it is very ambitious and – it works a lot. Like there might be like by this point longer shots or very distant shots where you don't have to animate the characters talking <laughs> or something. But like they still manage to get the story across, right? Like yeah. it, it it still works. And yeah, there I think for the, like the really important parts, they do kind of focus on making sure that the visuals are there. But yeah, it's like very moving to see her like at the point where Koito is and like trying to understand, you know, what happened, and she thinks about how like. And for a long time, she thought like she was there because she wanted to know what happened. And she doesn't get the answer from Mr. Sawaki, apparently, at the end of the art show, like when she went to the art show. We don't get to see that scene yeah. until this point, unfortunately. Yeah, which is like, again, very frustrating, but intentionally so, of course. So and and then you guess. don't even know if it's the truth or not. <laughs> right. It's what know? he says. Right. So yeah. it's, we can't yeah. we can't be sure. It's, um, it's just that she had the strength to ask him about it. Right. And so, you know, it was like, yeah, just like very emotionally intense. And of course, it everything turns out okay. She wins. And this point, what's very interesting is that usually the girls that they save, they vanish into smoke and then like everything else happens. But in this case, the other eye sticks around. Then we see Koito come back and it's very exciting. And then we get the final one of uh, Frill's creations, um, again, with the longest name ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, you know, she tries to attack and uh, the other eye is the one who um, ends up taking the blow. Literally, yep. her eye is gone. She takes her eye. <laughs> A lot of eye jokes there. Yeah. And then she wakes up and it's like, it's again, very emotionally intense, but she's finished. Like, it's, the, yeah. that's the idea. She cleared her trial. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so with that, the series seems to end, or at least it ends with 12 episodes. Now, of course, like we said, three months later, they do release this special, which is presumably the true intended ending. Yeah, um, I, I read, I was reading, and yeah, they always intended yeah. it for it to be the last episode, but because right. episode nine had to be a recap episode, they they couldn't even get the production together for, for three months. Right, yeah. right. And so, yeah, the special is, uh, it's a longer thing, so I think it probably with commercials would have been about an hour long or so. Um, and so the first half catches everyone up because it's like here's yeah. what you missed slash what you might have forgotten in the three months since and then they get to the actual like final part which is called my priority and it's such an interesting kind of uh ending because like we see i go through some stuff she gets adam the rat from neiru and then like yeah, she says like yeah. oh um please take care of adam and i'm sorry i have to do it so suddenly but well, we have the whole we have the whole Nehru uh, arc of she moves out of her her company's basement and she goes mm -hmm. living in her own little apartment and she says she has this whole line of like selfishness is the prerogative of children right and she has her whole like she's doing something she's going on a quest she's she's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. actively doing even though she cleared her 
trial, which we see later. Well, we don't even see it. We hear right. it later on in the episode where it gets shown to I and uh, Rika. Um, she still is fighting for something. And mm-hmm. we do, we are not sure what that is. And we uh, we also learned, like, I, I love Nehru so much. She is my favorite <laughs> character in this show. Sure, sure. And we learned so much about Nehru here. And the backstory is that uh, her younger sister Iru, which I believe is what we're supposed to believe is the younger sister, mm-hmm. uh, stabbed her in the back, right? Yes. Like literally stabbed her in the back. Like there's yes. scars on Nehru's back. Mm. And we see this goes in line with what we hear from Nehru in episode two, that she's not fighting to resurrect Iru. Right. You know, and that makes sense if somebody stabbed you in the back. Uh, she does it. <laughs> she says, I go for me, mm-hmm. you know. And so that makes sense that Nehru would not stop fighting the Wonder Killers or participating in the game even after she cleared her trial. And we don't know what that is or why she's doing that. And even to the end of the series, we never get that resolution. Right. But it informs the emotional core of this special episode because uh, she calls on the other girls, literally calls on the other girls to help. And that kind of forms the the basis here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if you want to explain the rest of what, what goes on in this episode yeah, yeah. before we get like, there. Things get really weird. And like, you know, obviously we've gotten introduced to the idea of, of parallel worlds. We made a parallel eye and then Kotobuki, Nehru's friend, had also said the same thing about how, like, there there are parallel worlds, etc. Right. And then she shows up in this episode, like, yeah. in, in this world, and you're like, wait, you're dead. She's like, oh, that one died, so I'm here. So it's like, okay, so this is this is a yeah, different like, Kotobuki, which what? is cool, you know, and okay. interesting. So it's like, we don't know how that works, etc., but right, it's right. still interesting. And, like, Nira has gone missing, and... Um, when I tries to contact her, she doesn't answer her phone, and then she um, tries to get to you know the company, etc. And this girl who seems to look like Nehru is like, I have no idea who you are. Like, don't talk right, to me. Right. And at the same time, also with um, Koito in real life, Koito does not remember their friendship at all. So it's Correct. like yep. very you know confusing, and um, a lot of this like ending reminded me a lot of. Um, Wish upon the Pleiades. Oh, wish well. upon the Pleiades. Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So that that's the same Good thing. Show. The same, like, yeah, where it's like the the parallel universes and different versions of these characters are all like intertwining in a way where I can't figure out what reality is anymore, and it seems to have right. affected her to the point right. where she's like writing stuff down, and we see that even like by the kind of last bit, like when she's writing down information based on what she has heard from the day and like around her people are talking about stuff where it's like already contrary to what she's written so there's a lot of stuff where it's like there's there's all these problems that are very clear still and i rika and momo they they talk to each other and they are like should we go back like now rika is very much like she wants to go back because she wants vengeance yeah revenge yeah yeah she is still so angry because, you know, Manen, who had, you know, rescued her on several yeah. occasions, like, yep. she she feels just incredible uh, pain about that loss as well. But then uh, Momoe has a different perspective out of it. Yeah. The, the slaughter of her animal and being that very violent, being force-fed the flesh of her alligator, mm-hmm. like, caused such a scar that she doesn't want the pain. She doesn't want to engage with any of it. She says, yeah. no, I, I'm done with that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And and both those viewpoints are respectable, right? Like you Absolutely. can't say that they're wrong. Like yeah, Absolutely. totally. Yeah, and we had seen by this point that like you know Rika when her, she tried to go back she couldn't, and so yeah. that's why she's trying to get yeah. the others to go with her. Yeah. But yeah, so I ends up. Uh, well, they all go to um, Nier's like home, and that's when they meet Kotobuki, etc., to watch the final dream and try to figure out what everything means. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are no answers in that. Yes, game. yes, yes. <laughs> Only more questions. Definitely. They all like go their separate ways. They don't continue it. I has this whole monologue of I moved, transferred schools. I, yes, I yes. went, you know, I went, uh, stopped doing it, stopped thinking about it. And there's this lovely directing of where she last saw Nehru, and it's like it's gonna snow today, and and uh, then she's reminded of Nehru. Also, the, before all that happens. The climax of this episode is Nehru calling Ai's cell phone, mm-hmm. presumably to say, come, come help, or like, I want to, I need you, I, or like, I want to maintain this relationship, or you meant something to me, any of that. I don't know. Who knows? We don't, because Ai doesn't pick up the phone. She chucks her phone off the, like, third story building. And <laughs> th- this shot, oh man, of I just... Throwing it off and uh, the far shot of it, the phone flying, is just for me the most impactful thing, really, or, or says so much about it because then it immediately cuts to her crying on her mom's lap about, I did mm-hmm. something real bad. And she yeah. knows that she abandoned the friend. And this is like a core magical girl thing, right? This is like, mm-hmm. this is all your Usagis and your and your Nanohas and everything in, in one element that I denies the call to action. Mm-hmm. A friend is in need and she doesn't pick up. And, you know, that's that's respectable. You can't hold her accountable to be this kind of selfless person. You know, selfishness is the prerogative of children, as as Nehru says. Um, But it is it is really unsatisfying to see, (laughs) uh, you know, to see that negative ending. Right. Or like a bad Mm -hmm. end to the series of like, oh, I guess they just broke up and didn't go whatever Nehru was doing or all that stuff with Frill Mm -hmm. because ostensibly whatever Nehru is going on to do is related in some way to Frill because they are both created from the same place and we see the teddy bear in both of their stories and it's it's like pretty clear that if there were a continuation past this special episode it would be regarding Nehru's journey and ostensibly Mm -hmm. to either save or do something with Frill Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm and i just doesn't want any of it and and that's so that's so sad you know that's <laughs> such a such a, a tough thing to do to just walk away and that like you weren't strong enough to be the heroine and mm-hmm. actually resolve the issue with the akas and everything and um man uh yeah ending on i recanting on that on saying you know i had enough time away and I do care for Nehru. And I, that bond did mean something. That friendship was enough to fight for. And her running back and saying, Ioto is back. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I will fight for Nehru. I will go after her and try to help her in whatever she's doing. Um, mm. Yeah. It's a bittersweet ending, right? Yeah, it's... I feel like it's very clear, and I understand people being uh, dissatisfied with his ending. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Right? Uh, I I am a little bit like there's there's more here. Like there's clearly more here. Yeah. And it, again, it like 
ends in this way where it's like implying that there's going to be another story. Right. So. Wonder Egg Priority is unfinished. Like, I don't think anybody can can argue that. Like, I Eye's arc maybe is done, and it's very cathartic in that way, but the story mm-hmm. of Wonder Egg Priority that they've raised is not done. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that makes it feel kind of like... Ah, give me not the catharsis. <laughs> I'm fine of it ending on a negative ending where I doesn't answer the call for Nehru. Just like mm-hmm. I want to see the rest of the story, you know? Sure. Yeah. I wonder, do you think that it would have been better if they had ended with episode 12? Ooh. Um, <laughs> you, hmm. I think then episode 11 sticks out even more as a sore thumb. I think if they wanted to end it on episode 12, you would have to rewrite episode 11 to be something completely different and not bring up Frill and all that jazz. Uh, And you would have to do something with the Akas. If they did that, it could possibly work. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I I don't want that. And I think... I read the uh, the screenwriter, the writer, uh, Nojima, saying, like, oh, yeah, there's more that I wanted to tell. Like, it got out of hand. I didn't realize that we needed to end it at that point. Or, like, you know, like, just basically saying that uh, the series composition of the show was messy in that way. Right. I can see another way or i can see an alternative parallel universe right where that where they <laughs> did resolve it accurately but then that show is just madoka magica right like or not mm-hmm. just madoka magica but it's it's a cohesive <laughs> product and it's it's all put together in the way that madoka magica is and like i said at the beginning i don't know i kind of i kind of almost like the meta narrative the resolution of this show being in shambles or the rough series composition for the plot because it it's a story now, right? Like, if I became a billionaire tomorrow, I would go to Sony and buy the rights to <laughs> Wonder Egg Priority and hire Cloverworks to finish, finish the story. That's exactly what I want more than anything else. And I think if they did that, if you gave me a, a, a resolution where Frill is redeemed by the power of friendship and they, they understand her in the same way that they, and they hold the Akas accountable for their misogyny and their misdeeds, this would probably be my favorite series of all time. In any type of fiction. But it doesn't have that yet. Uh, I don't think it makes Wonder Egg Priority lesser. I think it makes it worse overall as a, as a narrative story. But I don't think it makes it lesser in the, in the ways that it excels or what it tries to do um, and the ambitions that it reaches towards. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, we've seen this time and time again. There are so many shows out there that are like where's the next step like especially because like you said this special it um it poses so many questions it's like very understandably frustrating so yeah we'll we'll never know like you know there's always a chance that they will bring this back at some point again like despite everything it was still fairly popular right so you know it, it would be it would be cool to see if if they have that chance I was I was on Twitter right, and I I made a poll. I said uh, Cloverworks did Spy X Family and Bochi the Rock, which were you know huge financial and and cultural successes. So mm-hmm. I just wonder, like, do you think them doing well on other other shows will allow Aniplex and Sony to let them continue Wonder Egg Priority? <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> and, concept. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The the most popular response was the thinking emoji. Mm-hmm. yeah i don't think that's gonna happen i i hey i pray every day let's mm-hmm. let's get that let's get the finale of wonder egg priority just a movie that's all i need 
you know, I think yeah, it could I mean, resolve it in a movie. You never, you never know. Like, obviously, Cleverworks is very busy with Spy Family. I can imagine Bochy the Rock is going to get a continuation. Okay, oh, like God, it's it better. Yeah, it did so well beyond even just being a popular firm for animation. It seems very likely. So they're they're going to be a little busy. I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. But hey, they got They they announced new seasons of Penny and Stocking. They announced new seasons of Spice and Wolf. I you know we can always mm-hmm. hold out hope. Right, that Sailor yeah, Moon movies, yeah. the Sailor Stars is getting animated again, right? Like, yes, so, like, and a Raising Project is getting a second season finally after oh, all really? this time. I didn't even so, know. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they announced it like a few months ago. I want to say it's us presumably going to be the next story. We don't know a whole lot about it, but you know, it took them ten years to get back to it in animation. Yeah, so yeah. it's you it know, be like that. Yeah, <laughs> so there's definitely. Um, no reason to say it's impossible, right? right. Uh, certainly yeah. didn't expect any sequels to Pre-Gear to come out anytime soon, and here we are, yeah. so. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. Gonna have to do a video on that and uh, looking for Magical Dory Me about, like, adult magical girls and what that means. I don't know. Yes, Ooh, yes, boy. definitely. Can I say, I need to get this out here. Mm-hmm. the sailor moon reference in wonder egg priority oh yes okay yeah do you know do you know it already is it the during the fight yeah in episode 12 uh yes it is present there uh mm-hmm. and it is the uh background when when i like makes a like a terror the magical you know yes. big uh portal opens in the background and it's the background from sailor moon's transformation sequence yes the, the, all the little yes. circles and things and yeah i saw that when it was airing and i was i was so pumped that they would do something like that. Yeah. Um, I think because it's, again, like with the animation styles and stuff being so different between now and the 90s, like it definitely stands out, even yeah. if you don't know where it's from. It's like, oh, yeah, that's it does. It does. very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Just a small thing, but but I had to get it out there while we were talking about it. It was, it was a fun little nod. I think there are definitely little things here and there that feel like, again... This is definitely for me a magical girl series, and there's no reason to argue against it. Oh, totally, Again, totally. I know yeah. people will, but I feel very strongly about it. every show that we talk about. It's like if we're talking about it on the podcast, it's because I've watched enough of it to come to my own conclusion, and this is my podcast. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> totally valid. Totally valid. So with that, I guess I do want to get uh, to the the final question. <laughs> Which is, uh, what Magical Girl series are you hoping to explore next? Oh, man. I've got a whole list. After doing the <laughs> um, Magical Girl tier list video, which I had, oh, yes. had a breakdown, I had to rank every Magical Girl show. I'm going back and exploring some stuff that I've missed out on. I think the Full Moon of Sagashite, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. For the Full Moon. That's one that I have on the list. Mm. I have a ton of stuff that I need to watch for my favorite director, Junichi Sato, uh, which we talked about in the Magical Dory Me Naisho episode. I have to go watch uh, Pre-Tier. Mm. And then anything that releases in the future, I'm kind of trying to stay abreast of, you know. Mm. So what season is the adult Pre-Cure season coming out for? Because I haven't seen it. Ah, is it Doki Doki? The first one, the one that starts in October, is going to be for Yes Precure 5, Go-Go. Yes 5, okay. Right. Yes 5, Go-Go. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that we have the, the key visual for at this moment. Um, I'm sure we'll get more information about it in the coming months. 
And then the one that's coming out next year, we don't know exactly when yet, but sometime in 2024, is going to be for Witchy Precure. Oh, I did not like Witch Precure, no. Interesting. Mm-hmm. No, that was one of the seasons I didn't did not care for. Um, so I'll have to watch Yes 5, though. Okay. <laughs> I think you'll like Yes if you haven't watched it yet. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, but awesome. So... Yeah, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast to talk about the show. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure. I I think you speaking to you uh, is always a joy, uh, and I think we, <laughs> you really understand the genre in a similar way. Um, and we really always have a good discussion. So thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So um, where can people find you and follow you online to talk about this and other magical girl shows? Primarily, I am on YouTube.com/slash Clear and Sweet. That is where you want to go. Um, also on Twitter at uh, Clear and Sweet. But I just recently, over the, since we last talked about a year ago, um, I my project that I would heavily recommend anybody listening to this go check out is the Sailor Moon Iceberg video. Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It was also a lot of work. Mm-hmm. My friend created a Sailor Moon iceberg with a lot of trivia and stuff. You know, you've seen iceberg memes before. And I made a very large video explaining the iceberg and then a follow-up video explaining all the uh, corrections and, and other trivia that came in. So if you have any desire to hear about uh, Sailor Moon trivia, go check that video out. Mm. Yep, youtube.com slash clear and sweet. Awesome. Yes, and the link to that will be in the show notes. Um, so yeah, thank you again for coming on, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. You as well. Thank you. Whether this was your first or last time listening, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. We hope you check out the rest of our chats, over two years of magical content and counting. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend or tell five friends or tell the whole world by talking about us online. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparkleSideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at SparkleSideChats at gmail.com. Did you know we also take recommendations for future guests and topics? Just fill out the form in the show notes. You can even suggest yourself if you're so bold. The very best free way to support the podcast is using your podcast platform to give a rating and review of our little show. This gives the big internet machines the message that they should share it with more people, and I think we all want that, don't we? You can also join the Discord server for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. The forever link is in the show notes as well as on the socials, so be sure to stop by. Show notes can be found on your podcast platform of choice or at our main landing page at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you have a few bucks, you can give a one-time donation at ko-fi.com or ko-fi.com slash ayushinos. 
You can also commit to a monthly membership, which grants you access to bonus episodes about Magical Girls and adjacent content such as movies, comics, and other series that Magical Girl fans tend to also love. All it takes is $5 a month, but if you want to rank up, that'll give you discounts on art commissions and monthly requests as well. Music credits, as always, are also in the show notes. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical forever and always. See you next time. Thank you.